introduce our speaker. This is Malat Debeklu. She is the daughter of a Eritrean Orthodox priest up in the Bay Area. Uh, I met her this this summer. She uh, she participated in a group that went down to uh, Mexico to do some home building at a Pan Orthodox uh, group called Project Mexico, and it's uh, we're blessed to have her with us. I I asked her in the course of meeting her if she could come give us a talk. Project Marchi's showing the Project Mexico logo, and uh, you know in in the in the spirit of ecumenicism or an ecumenical effort, we are uh, hopefully with prayers someday going to be united with our with our Eastern Orthodox churches, but it's it's silly that we don't know our own sister Oriental Orthodox churches. So uh, this is an opportunity to do to do so and to learn more about the Richard Orthodox Church. It's not the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, which you'll get to. Uh, but it's, uh, we're blessed to have her, so I'm, I'm glad we have uh, folks here to, to listen. Thank you for coming. Hi, everyone. Yeah, like Peter said, I'm Melot. Um, I go to USC, but I was born and raised in the Bay. Um, yeah, I'm so happy to be here. Uh, thank you. If I stutter, sorry, not great at public speaking, but... Yeah, hopefully this presentation will be kind of informative. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll start with like some quick terms that you guys see on the slides. I don't know if you guys probably can't really read it, but at the bottom I have some like quick terms that I'll probably be talking a lot about throughout the presentation and they're not gonna be English words, so um, just talk about them and like to define them. So if you guys have noticed, I don't know if you know, but when um, Eritrean Orthodox Tuaharu Church is the full name of our church, and you guys probably are uh, wondering about what the Tuaharu part in our name means. Um, the Tuaharu part uh, refers to like the divinity and the natures of Christ. Um, it specifically um, translates to united as one, um, and kind of is in reference to the two natures of Christ, both his fully divine and fully human nature were um, kind of united as one. Like we say in the liturgy, I think both, I think in the Coptic church as well as the Eritrean church, um, we say that uh, Christ's natures were never like separated or never intermingled for like a twinkling of an eye or something like that. Um, and so that's what the Tuahoro part in our name means. Um, I'm not gonna say Eritrean Orthodox Tuahoro church, that's literally a mouthful. So the shorthand abbreviation for that is EOTC, um, kind of has a nice ring to it. But yeah, so I'll be saying EOTC. Um, another term is Giz. So Giz is our liturgical language, kind of like your guys' Coptic. Um, way back in the day, it used to be like the common vernacular of both Eritrea and Ethiopia. Um, but as time, I guess, kind of went on, two languages were derived from Giz. Um, one of those languages is known as Tigrinya. Tigrinya is the native tongue of Eritrea. And then another one of those languages is Amharic. Amharic is the native tongue of Ethiopia. So you can probably already guess just from like that, like the, both the Ethiopian Orthodox Church as well as the Eritrean Orthodox Church have a very like interconnected history. Like we have our own separate like distinguishments, but we're very like pretty connected. Um, another term is Mesmur. Um, so Mesmur, I think one of the things that I noticed coming into the Coptic Church, because I guess going to school at SC, um, I kind of came down knowing, my dad kind of told me, he was like, honestly, just go to a Coptic Church, don't even bother going to an Eritrean Orthodox Church, just because he was, he like knows himself, like he went through like the theological seminary that um, you guys provided, and he knows like how rich the Coptic um, kind of like dogma and like foundation and faith is, and while it's like the same as ours, our church has not progressed as much as your guys' has. Um, and so he was just like, honestly, just go to a Coptic church um, when you come down to LA. So like some of the, one of the like major like differences that I noticed that I'll, I'll be bringing on in the later um, slides is that we like sing a lot right after our liturgies. Like it's a lot of singing, praises, songs. We have a lot of instruments that accompany that with it. Um, in my personal opinion, I think like Mesmer, like it's part of my favorite part of being Eritrean Orthodox just because it's a very fun time. Um, and you're, yeah, you're just kind of singing and praising God a lot, and I'll be showing videos um, of what that looks like. Okay, 
that, that was just like a quick introduction. Okay, now geography. I don't know if you guys know where Eritrea is, but Eritrea is like right above Ethiopia. I highlighted both of them. Uh, Eritrea is the one in the green and then Ethiopia is the one in the orange. I highlighted both of them just to show you guys how close Eritrea is in proximity to Ethiopia. And that's, I feel like, important to know going on with the whole presentation, just because like to understand like um, the history and like how interconnected the Eritrean Orthodox Church is with the Ethiopian Orthodox Church is kind of dependent um, based off of like their location. Um, and with that being said, um, so the establishment of the EOTC it happened in I think like 300 something AD, 328 AD. Um, I believe the Coptic Church was founded in 33 AD, right? Yeah, around that time? Yeah, okay, give or take. Um, <laughs> Christianity was familiarized in um, both Ethiopian Eritrea at like, like right after Christ's death, but it was never there. There's no like early documentation of like how the church was exactly founded. So we consider like 328 AD to be the establishment of both the Ethiopian Orthodox and the Eritrean Orthodox Church. Um, this can be credited to one saint in particular, who's our patron saint, I guess you could say. Um, his name is Saint Frumentius. In our church, we we call him Abba Salama, and I think you guys know what Salam means. Peace, right? Yeah, so he's the father of peace. Um, so he went, I think actually he stopped in Alexandria, Egypt first, and was actually anointed the very first pope, um, or I guess, yeah, very first pope of the church, and that started the tradition of, like, the papacy in the EOTC. Um, and then once he, like, was anointed, he came down to the Aksum Kingdom. I forgot to say this. So the Aksum Kingdom, so Eritrea and Ethiopia were both under the Aksum Kingdom. There was no such thing really as Eritrea though, like that we didn't have that name beforehand, but we were all under the Aksum Kingdom. And so um, while we were like kind of separate, we were all like under this like umbrella. So there wasn't, there was still an Eritrean Orthodox Church, but we all kind of went by like the majority, if that makes sense. Um, and if you honestly search up the origins of the Eritrean Orthodox Church, it'll pop the what will pop up will be like the origins of the Ethiopian Orthodox Church because the capital city of like the Aksum Kingdom is kind of like in northern Ethiopia and so a lot of up and like until later once we gain our independence I like keep saying this like I feel like I sound like a broken re record but um our history is very like interconnected with the Ethiopian Orthodox Church so I guess like until I say so like everything that kind of applies to the Ethiopian Orthodox Church kind of applies to the Eritrean Orthodox Church um, but yeah, so Abba Salama, or St. Fermentius, went down to the Aksum Kingdom, and he, I think, was evangelizing and um, was baptizing people in the region, and the first person I think he baptized was the king of the time. His name was King Azana, and then King Azana, once he became Christian, I think from that point on, the Aksum Kingdom became like the second nation in the world to have like declared Christianity as like a national religion, with the first one being Armenia. Um, but what St. Frumentius did as he was baptizing um, people is like he put a wooden cross like necklace around them and that's actually still carried today in our church like when a priest baptizes a child nine times out of ten I don't have it I lost mine a while ago but um, after baptism the priest will put like a wooden like cross necklace around them just kind of signify like your mark of faith and that's still a tradition that's like very much carried today. So if you see a Habesha person walking on the street and if you see that kind of like cross nine times out of ten you'll probably see them you'll be like oh they're orthodox. Um, but yeah so that's like the that's kind of how the EOTC was founded. It was in 328 AD and just to reiterate like Christianity was familiarized at this point but there was no documentation so we kind of considered this time to be our um, I guess the establishment of it. Um, and the fact that actually St. Athanasius was the one who literally anointed St. Frumentius, I think that was what started the dialogue between like the Eritrean Orthodox as well as the Ethiopian Orthodox Church with the Coptic Church. And we, you guys probably know like it's definitely still carried on today. Um, and how like, I know you guys pray for our Pope Abu Antonios like during liturgies, yeah. So it's very much carried today. And I think like as I was kind of preparing for this presentation, I thought it was very interesting how the history played out and how a lot of things that was that kind of happened back then still kind of reflect today. Okay, Old Testament influences. Fun fact: This is actually my grandpa and my cousin. Um, like I think I low-key come from a long line of priests. Like my dad is a priest, my uncle is a priest, my grandpa's a priest. 
my dad's uncle is a priest as well. It's, yeah, so um, I kind of put up this picture just to kind of show like the priest garments that we wear. It's obviously very different than like what the Coptic uh, like clergymen wear. Um, and a lot of it come from just like Old Testament influences. Our church, I would say, I think from, I haven't been to like a lot of other Orthodox churches besides Ethiopian and Coptic, but I feel like I could probably like fairly assume that our church has, I think, the most like influences of the Old Testament. Um, just in, it's like just, it's very reflected in not only like what the priests wear, but like how, um, how like our, how like worship's reflected in that. Um, I think this is because like, after when St. Fermentius came, like what we received first, like in terms of the faith was the Old Testament before we received the New Testament. So because of that, a lot of stuff hasn't changed now. Like for example, um, in the EOTC, both Eritrean and Ethiopian, we're like still not allowed to eat pork. I know you guys can, but we're not allowed to eat it. Um, and that's just like a church canon. And if, it can be changed if we wanted to, but it would have to be brought up to the synod and like the patriarch. And as of right now, which I probably will get into later, uh, that's like not an option. Um, but so eating pork is one priest garments that's reflected in just like that comes from um, I think in Exodus when Aaron the priest or like when it's when he's described like what to wear um, there's that as well as oh when you come into church you're not allowed to wear shoes and that comes also from Exodus how Jesus or God the Father told Moses like oh you're standing on holy ground you should take off your shoes um, Another thing that my church specifically doesn't do, uh, but more traditional Eritrean like Orthodox churches do, my dad doesn't really agree with this, but um, if a woman is on her period, she's not allowed to even step foot in the church. Um, I know like it's a dogma that like women can't take communion. I know that's like the central dogma, but like um, in terms of like stepping in the church, they're not allowed to. Um, I've asked my dad like why that was the case. It started off as just like back then before they had like any like, before women had any pads and stuff to kind of protect themselves. It was just a matter of literally cleanliness, like they'll literally like mess up the carpets or whatever. Um, but I think that kind of, that ideology kind of carried on, I guess, throughout church history and people kind of thought of it as like a faith thing. It definitely isn't a faith thing, um, but you may notice if you ever do go into an Eritrean Orthodox church or an Ethiopian Orthodox church, a lot of them, a lot of women, if you see them sitting outside, that's probably the reason why. Also, please interrupt me for questions. Does anyone have any questions so far? Or any thoughts? Anything? Yes. I just want to add, do you mind stepping inside? Yeah. Okay. Is it too small? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. I'm dead. Okay, great. Um, yeah, I'll send them to Peter later and then he can kind of like disperse them. Yeah, of course, no. Any other questions or comments? Yes. Mm-hmm. Wearing like white uh, uh, clothes yes. around all the body. Yes. So when you're going to the church, you're doing the same? For the, the most clothes? part, um, I think back home, I haven't, I've never been back home, but I think back home, a lot of women probably will show up in white. I think it's kind of changed, at least in America, or at least my church. If you do take communion, you are kind of expected to wear all white, just to kind of reflect like, like your, you know, your purity and like, taking communion is like such a serious thing um so I know for sure when you're taking communion like if you can't it's okay but like um you should I guess if that makes sense um but yeah the white just reflects purity as well as purity of the heart and just like you want to kind of present yourself in the best foot forward like as you you know take the holy mystery yes yeah yeah I personally don't wear like all white every single week I go to church, I just wear it, like, when I take communion. Oh, that's also one thing that I want to bring up. A very, very big difference between the Coptic church and the EOTC is that, like, when I first came here, I'm like, it's crazy. Like, everybody and their moms is taking communion. But, like, at our church, you'll see a huge gap of people, or a huge, like, generational gap. So you'll see little kids take it, 
this gap between like our parents' age, like middle-aged people, and then just very elderly people. Like there's this big gap, um, and part there's so many reasons for that. One of the reasons I will say that um, there's been a lot of talks about having this rule changed, but for a married couple, um, if it's their first time taking communion, they have to confess and take communion together. Not at the same room, but at the same time. For, so for example, like a husband will come in, he'll repent and confess, um, and then he'll walk out and the wife has to do the same. So that just means that like both uh, people in that like couple partnership um, have to be ready at the same time. And I personally feel like that is like, I'm sure probably a big hindrance as to why a lot of people don't take it. Like, like I said, like back home and as well as other Eritrean or Ethiopian Orthodox churches, um, there is just, I, only, I can count like on my fingers like how many parents I know that take communion because of that rule. I feel like it's a very big hindrance. I also think I added this like bullet point on the slide, but like I think the way our faith was kind of passed down and kind of taught um, was just like accepting the faith because of tradition rather than education. I think just like because of the lack of education, maybe that like, I think like, I know for sure like back home, like I don't think a lot, I mean, everybody knows like how important Holy Communion is, but I don't think they know really I don't think they understand like maybe the symbolism or like really how important it is. And I think that can also be a big hindrance as to why like maybe a married couple, for example, could, or could be like, oh, I mean, I can just take it literally the day, I, the day before I die kind of thing. Because like it's just a lot of elderly people that take it uh, um, as well as like little kids. But I think that's definitely changing now, at least like with my generation, a lot of my friends and I, we're kind of taking that step to like, um, you know, confess and like take me and I'm, I hope. God willing, that like that kind of carries over um, as we get older, but yeah. Um, I have a question. Yeah. So let's say you have a father of confession, but they don't go to that church. Would that still count to take communion? I think when you're married, uh, that's a good question. I'll ask, like, I'll like, don't quote me, but I think when you're married, you're supposed to have the same father of confession. Um, so I, yeah, I guess I don't really know. Sorry. Yes. Is it for the first time only that married yes. couples have to confess and repent yes. together, or is it sustained throughout their marriage? No, yeah, just for the first time. I remember I asked my dad specifically that yesterday. I was like, is it just for the first time? He's like, yes, absolutely, just for the first time. Um, they don't have to do it. It's not a sustained thing. Yeah. I think it just kind of, my opinion, probably comes from the fact that, like, I was saying it's right, but... Um, you know, when you're married, like, the two become one, and I think, like, you know, everything that you do should kind of reflect that, um, but uh, I remember we were talking about it um, in my Sunday school class a couple years back, and how our Sunday school teacher was like, yeah, I feel like this rule should be changed, but um, anything that needs to be changed obviously has to be brought up to the higher-ups, the big dogs, um, so, <laughs> and we don't have, like, our, I'm going to get into it later, I don't know if you guys know, like, the whole politics with, like, the OTC, but it's, it's like a, it's honestly, it's a mess right now, and so we haven't had that and haven't been able to progress. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, um, this one is going to be very brief, honestly. Um, so saints, like I said before, um, we, because like we were so intertwined with the Ethiopian Orthodox Church, we don't really have our own set of saints. Like, I, we don't have a saint that's like, of like Eritrean descent, I guess you could say. There's a lot of saints though that are of Ethiopian descent. One in particular is Saint Tekla Haimanot. He's the third one. Um, he was, I think you guys also honor him, right? Yeah, I, I brought that specifically just because like, I know you guys would be familiar with it. Um, but he was, I think, the first human to have given wings, so that's pretty cool. We also have Saint Moses the Ethiopian, Saint Arsema, who's the second one, and then um, Saint Constantinople and Saint Eleni. Um, she's kind of important given like the feast that we just had, the feast of the true cross. Um, we have a cool tradition that we do that I'll bring up later, um, but she played a big role in like being able to like identify and like reveal which was the true cross that Jesus was crucified on. Um, and then there's Abuna Aragawi. I personally don't know all their stories, so like maybe you guys, if you guys want, you can kind of search them up, but uh, yeah. So this one is kind of brief. Okay, I have a question for you guys. Um, I know the Coptic Church only has, you guys have three, I don't want to say only, I kind of gave it away. Uh, you guys have three types of liturgies, right? St. Basil, St. Gregory, St. Cyril. How many, guys, how many types of liturgies do you guys think the EOTC has? Take a while to guess. Okay, one, one, 10, 20, 
40? Um, so actually 14. <laughs> so kind of close, I guess, but yeah, a lot. Um, these are some pictures from our church um, back home, but yeah, we have 14 different types of liturgies, which is a lot, obviously. We have like, we have the three that you guys use. We have St. Jeskoros, we have the Anaphora of the Apostles, and a four of St. Mary of our Lord. Um, there's a lot more. I listed only, I think, seven, um, and we like kind of alternate between like, if there's a feast day, we'll, you know, use Anaphora of St. Liter- Mary, for example, like, um, you know, for the, pa- the, pa- the fast that we just passed, uh, we prayed the anaphora of St. Mary. Um, I think the variations of like why we have so much, we also have like different hymnologies to reflect the times of the church. So for example, um, when we're not like in a season of like mourning or during Lent, we're gonna sing in a more faster paced kind of tune. If not, we'll be singing a more slower type of tune. I put the compositions up on the screen. Um, one of them is known as Giz, yes. I just wanna add that we actually used to pray those 14 liturgies. Oh. Um, like in the 1950s and the 1960s. And then when Pope Shenouda took over as patriarch in 1971, uh, at some point during his uh, papacy, he he basically said, let's just use those three because mm-hmm. everyone knows them. And so they, they got kind of sidelined. Oh. But if you meet some of the older priests from that, that time, they didn't abide by that rule and they still prayed some of the liturgies that you guys prayed. Uh, so we used to actually pray all those liturgies as well. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, yeah, that's good to know, actually. I actually had no idea. Um, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, 14 different types of liturgies, different compositions. Um, yes, question in the back. I'll answer that. I'll answer that. <laughs> you know what's so funny? Like, at Coptic Club or something, some, somebody will complain about a one, hour, one and a half hour liturgy. I'm like, bruh, like, ours is like three hours. Like, I don't want to hear any complaints. Like... <laughs> It can be very long. I think, like, back home, it's very long. They start at 4, 4 or 5 a.m. They go on to, like, 12 p.m. Like, it can be very, very long. There's a lot of, like... <laughs> um, <laughs> right. No, so it's very long. I think in America, it's definitely, like, it's definitely cut down short. My dad also tries to keep it short. He's very, like, much like, oh, we have to respect people's times, all of this, all of that. So I think back home, I would say two and a half two hours, two and a half, if even, I don't know, it's been a, I haven't been back home since July, honestly, so I don't know, um, I don't remember, but I think what also, I think because our hymns are so slow paced, that's also why it takes forever, we all, huh? I personally don't think so, at least in English, I don't think it, like in English it's, the Coptic one? How long, how long do you think it would be, what would it take? Okay, okay, so pretty, fairly similar. I think there's also, for us, we just have so many, like, prayers that are supposed to be kind of said in the beginning. All that is kind of attributed to this one guy named St. Yared. Um, if you talk to any Ethiopian person, they'll, they'll tell you a whole lot about St. Yared because he was kind of the one that composed all of the hymns that, like, we use today. Um, we have, there's, like, five, like, thick books that my dad told me he had to study, like, when he was in, mon- in the monastery. He went when he was, I think, 11, Spent eight years there just studying and memorizing hymns and, like, you know, the Bible and everything. But it's, um, he was kind of, the way he was kind of telling me, it was kind of cool. But it's kind of literally like school, right? It's like, if you don't pass, you stay behind or whatever. Um, He was kind of bragging a little bit. He's like, yeah, I was able to skip a couple levels ahead or whatever. Um, But it's very, it's a lot. And it's all attributed to this one guy named St. Yared. Before him, so this is in the 6th century. Before him, all the liturgies used to be just read. Like, no, no tunes, no melodies. So you can only imagine how long that would take. So, like, only read in a, uh, like, a very, like, kind of, like, low murmur, I guess you can kind of say. Um, so after he, like, he had, in our tradition, we believe that, like, he was able to, I think, go up to heaven. And he was able to see how the liturgy was kind of played out in all the tunes. And then as soon as he came back down to earth, he, like, wrote and recorded every single thing. Um, we also believe that, like, as he was kind of professing, what he saw to the king, um, I think literally a spear like pierced his foot and because he was just so like in the melody and the tune, he didn't even feel it, um, which I think is crazy. Um, but yeah, so everything comes from that guy, St. Yared, um, and that's like all the tunes and hymns that you hear today um, in our churches like, can, attribu- can be attributed to like that one person.
Um, yeah, we have 14 types of liturgies. I don't know, if, has anybody been into an EOTC before? Like, seen a liturgy? Yeah. Have you noticed, like, the umbrella that they hold anytime, like, they come out with the gospel or the Holy Communion? Yeah. Um, the umbrella that's, like, hold, um, it's just to represent, like, the Holy Trinity and that, like, we're in the presence of the Holy Trinity. Um, but, yeah. Yeah. Okay, instruments. My favorite part. So, we have, like, three main instruments that we use. We have the kabaro which is the red drum that you see. Everything that, you, that we use in the EOTC has a meaning, all the way down to like the bands of leather that's around that drum. That's supposed to represent the stripes, um, that, like the lashes that Christ felt on crucifixion, or before crucifixion. Uh, the red is supposed to symbolize the blood that was shed. And then the small circle that's on the drum is supposed to represent his human nature. Then the big one is supposed to re represent his divine nature. Um, so that's the drum. We have something called the tzanatzil. Um, I know that's a hard one to say. Try practicing that one. Tongue twister. Um, we have the tzanatzil. Um, that's also used during, like, when we're praying. Uh, not when we're praying. When we're singing songs. I have a video um, to show you guys. And then we also, I don't know if you can see in the picture below, with, like, all of the guys standing in the white. They're holding, like, a stick. Um, because our, like, services can be long, like, practically they're just used to kind of lean on. Uh, but literally, 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 you'll see the priest... There was like, I went to like, I went to DC a couple years back for a feast and their service started at 2 a.m. and they prayed till 12 p.m. So you can, you can guess that like, you know, a lot of priests were dozing off by the end, as they should, honestly, they got no sleep, but you'll just see a lot of them just like lean the stick like this and just like pray, like just like that. Um, so just like, just to, yeah. So practically it's just to lean on it, just so like to not feel tired. And then the symbolic reason is like, you know, leaning on Christ, you know times of trouble and stuff like that um but yeah any any thoughts comments concerns on that or anything no okay okay <laughs> okay um there should be videos here i don't know why it's not popping up um but no sound that's crazy No sound. If that doesn't work, I can quickly, like, I can go to my, like, camera roll and literally just play it. That might be better. Yeah, okay. I can do that. Let me stop sharing real quick. Okay, I'm gonna stop sharing real quick. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm gonna stop sharing real quick and then pull up a video. Okay, it came up, but it's still not playing, huh? It's playing, but I mean, no sound. Dang. I don't think it, like, I think it just won't come out, I think because it's connected to the external display. I guess it's kind of awkward. You guys can't see the video. I'll show the video. Okay. Okay. I'll show the video. Like, I'll play the sound and then I'll show the video later, I guess. Okay. Okay. Okay.
Um, let me put it up. So what was, that was during resurrection, what was said. So that is, we believe in your resurrection. Um, Berhana kafanu divana is like, let your light be re like revealed to the whole world. That was the video that was playing, the one on the left. I don't know if you guys can see it, but yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can kind of see like, uh, yeah, the guy hitting the kaboro. Um, that's my brother, actually. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so you see like two rows of people um, like kind of going back and forth. Um, and like in their hands, they're holding the stick and the tsanatsil, and they're just, you know, kind of doing that. Um, you see the priests right there. Um, all of this was literally from that one guy saying yada. So all the things that we do and when it comes to like hymnology, like not just when it comes to like songs like this, um, but even the liturgy and like the melodies that we use can be attributed to that one guy. So we own quite a lot. Um, but yeah, this is called a warab. Um It usually goes on for way longer. I showed a five minute clip. It's usually like a 15 minute thing. Of your, so it starts off really slow. You're literally going back and forth like this. And then you're kind of going based off of the beat of the kabaro and also the person that's in the mic like leading the song. Um, so it'll go slow and then it'll also start going fast. So what you saw was it going fast. Um, but that's, that was like near the end of it. So it goes from slow and then there's a transition and then it goes to fast. Um, I can also send videos to Peter to distribute out like what the whole thing looks like. Um, and then if you see like in the picture on the top left, um, that's like during like major feast days, you'll probably see a lot of like people, like girls or women wearing zurias. Um, that's what that looks like, just that like that long dress. Um, and then in the picture in the top right, um, you can't really see it, but like the priest is wearing like a long kind of gown kind of thing. Um, and he's wearing all white. If they're wearing all white, you can probably assume it's a major feast. This was, I think, during Easter or uh, Nativity. Um, uh, but yeah. Okay, cool traditions. <laughs> um, so during Good Friday, I don't think you guys do this. I, I'll put up the video. Um, but during Good Friday, we'll literally, I feel like I have to show it just to, I have to show it. I just can't even explain it. <laughs> You won't hear the sound, but I will. You, you kind of don't even need to. Okay, do you see? So there's all the guys that are lining up. This is like the guy's favorite part of Good Friday. So this is like at the end after Christ has like. Um, yeah, so okay, do you see the priest holding. Actually, no. So the guy holding the stick, there's a candle at the end. What you'll probably see, I have to, let me skip a little bit forward. This is supposed to kind of represent like God, Jesus going down to Hades and uh, defeating death by death. And you'll see that very soon, but yeah, them literally hammering like the candle and like lighting the, like kind of like fusing the candle out. It's kind of a fun time. Like a lot of guys have fun with that. Just like literally stressing, like releasing their stress and anger. I think we literally broke off the top of a stick once just by doing that. Um, but after that, we kind of break into song, and just it's just supposed to represent like um, Christ, like defeating death by death. Um, yeah, I don't know. Do you guys have that? Something similar to that? No. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, then during um. The Feast of the Cross, if you see that literally like the fire that's like burning like on like the like wooden sticks, that's also supposed to represent 
I think, I don't know if anybody knows the story of like Saint Helena, that, you know, the one who revealed, who was able to reveal the true cross, like she like led in kind of like an excavation to like dig up like which cross is which one. And then they burned, I think they like kind of like made a fire and then the smoke, they, the smoke that emit, was emitted from that fire was able to lead them to the site of where the three crosses were. Um, and, then, and then through like, you know, miracles, she was able to find that like, um, she was able to identify the true cross. But what we do is we literally will put a cross kind of like, I don't know if you can see it, yeah, like that. So it's like a wooden thing and like there's a cross at the top if you can see and we burn that. Um, I remember I posted it once on my social media and somebody literally swiped them. They're like, is this a cult? Like, they're like, no, everyone's not a cult. Literally, we're literally Christians, but um, <laughs> we're literally Christians. <laughs> I guess it could also be a cult though, depending on who you ask. Um, but yeah, so that's like another tradition that we have. I think like if you can, I guess, kind of get anything from this presentation, I feel like the EOTC is a very like, we, I think it's a, it's kind of like a very, it's like an animated, it can be sometimes so animated, like, you know, with the whole like beating, like the, you know, fusing or like taking out the light from that candle and like literally beating the crap out of that stick with like a bunch of other sticks, as well as that. It's very like, I think we take a lot of things I guess kind of literally in a sense, um, but yeah. So yeah, those are the two co cool like traditions that I thought in my opinion, I think would be cool to show. Okay, and then I think this is the last slide. So thank you guys so much for listening. Um, but so Abuna Antonio, so does anybody know like the, what's been going on? Okay, <laughs> I'll try my best. <laughs> um, so Abona Antonios uh, was our patriarch, um, I think 1994, no, 2003, sorry, 2003, I think. Um, and he was our patriarch until 2023, which was when he passed away, like early in February. Um, but he was put under house arrest for, I think the majority, if not all of his like years in papacy. Um, because of like how things back home are very bad. It's very like censored um, and the government kind of wanted to interfere in church affairs um, and Abuna Antonio's kind of stood up for that. It was like, whatever is regarding the church should be a church matter. You guys shouldn't interfere. Uh, but because of how like, I guess, dictatorial um, our government is, they kind of wanted control of everything, including the church, knowing how big of like community um, of like Orthodox Christians there are in Eritrea. Um, and so for that reason, um, Abuna Antonius was put under house arrest for 16 years. Um, that obviously reflected, so unlawfully put under house arrest for 16 years. Um, and that reflected a lot in like how the state of the OTC is in America, especially. Um, depending on the church you'll go to, um, you'll either go to specific Eritrean Orthodox churches that are in support of the patriarch or that aren't in support of the patriarch. It's a whole thing, but a whole schism was literally like formed because of it. Um, and we still don't have um, a patriarch right now. I think my dad actually went to Egypt, funny enough. Um, I think last year, um, a along with some of the other uh, priests who are on like the diocese board to kind of talk to Pope Tawadros about like next steps moving forward just to, just because we've always had that dialogue with like the Coptic church um, and so right now we don't have a patriarch um, and my dad just told me we're just like in the process I guess of just like we're just praying that like God will send us like a shepherd um, but again depending on who you ask like the Eritrean person that you ask they'll be like oh we have a patriarch and others will say no we don't um, in the other like the for the churches that don't support the patriarch and that support the Eritrean government um, they will say no we have a patriarch like uh, but that patriarch we don't follow because he, I don't, I really don't mean to bring the politics of this all into it, but I think it's just so like, because of how like, it's really kept the EOTC from progressing. Um, and it's just such a big part of like how it's like manifested today. Um, so I apologize, but I feel like it's also important to know just because it's like, it's, this is what we're kind of going through right now. I guess it's kind of like history, but back to my point of um, depending on who you ask, like during, while Abuna Antonios was in power, um, uh, some of the Eritrean Orthodox churches and like bishops and priests 
who didn't support, who don't support him but support the government, instituted a whole nother patriarch while Abu Antonis was still alive because they renounced him, um, which is obviously unlawful and unjust. And so we don't support that, um, at least like my church back home. But um, yeah, there's a lot of nuances to it. Like I could get into it, but yeah, yeah. Any questions? I think that's literally the end. Thank you so much for listening. Um, yes. Yeah, I think I think by the applause, uh, uh, you should know we're very blessed to have you today. So thank, thank you for so being much. with us today. It's uh, it's our blessing to learn about our sister churches in the Oriental Orthodox faith. Um, could you could you maybe uh, tell us a little bit about the EOTC in America? Um, so tell us a little bit how. Are there are there clumps of churches in certain areas geographically? Are you in 50 states and two states? Uh, and and so it's a two-part question, right? Mm -hmm. um, so as the church kind of migrated here to the United States, um, where is it and what does it look like from a like a demographic standpoint? Is it mainly immigrants? Is it uh, are there you know how does it how does the church kind of flush out? Let's look. That's a really good question. Okay, for, to answer the first part. The DMV, so D.C., Maryland, Virginia, is known as Habesha Central. Like, you'll see a bunch of Habesha people walking on the street. Like, the funny thing is I, I met somebody at USC that goes, that's from the DMV, and they say, like, when we meet a Habesha person on the street, we don't even acknowledge them, which is, like, back home, like, where I'm from in Oakland, like, it's kind of customary. Like, if you see somebody that's Habesha on the street, even if they're a stranger, you'll be like, you know, hi, what's up, I see you, I acknowledge you kind of thing. But in the DMV, because of how many people there are there, it's definitely, like, there's a lot of them there. So I would say D.C. area, um, my friend says, my friend from D.C. says, like, during especially, like, feast days, like, at least a thousand people will show up and their services will go on till literally 6 a.m., like, from, like, late at night, the night before it's 6 a.m. So D.C., Seattle, I say, would have a pretty good population. Um, I, I think the Bay Area is more on the lower side, I'd probably say. Um, there are some in the Midwest. I didn't even know, but there are some in the Midwest. <laughs> who's in the Midwest like but there are like some hot people in the Midwest um so we're kind of I guess dispersed all around but I guess like those main like areas um and then to answer your second part of the question it was like the demographics of, like um I think it really depends on the church you go to our church is a little bit more like inclusive towards the youth and like inclusive to like learning about you know what they want and so we'll have like we'll kind of cater and orient services around them have things in English and everything, like English liturgies. So for us, I feel like it's definitely also growing in numbers. There's low-key a lot of kids, but there's also a big, like, older generation. But if you go to a more traditional EOTC, you'll probably see a lot of, like, very, like, older people, um, and you won't see as many kids. Um, and I think that really just has to do with, like, the services of the church, whether it's literally done in, like, the liturgical language that we pray with, or if it's done in English, or if there's just, like, I know we can also be kind of very judgmental, and I think that's like a lot of things that I think Coptic Church also kind of experience and like face. So, yeah, it's a lot of things. No, thank you. Yeah. Just real quick, for you, you educated me on this before, yes. but just um, culturally and mm -hmm. the the divide between Ethiopia and Eritrea. Yes. I know it's a big topic, but yeah. if you give it, give me like a like a. Ethiopian yeah. Eritrea for, for, for dummies, kind of. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> yeah, honestly, I forgot to mention that. That's a very important, like, distinction, distinction to make. Um, so, like I said, we were under Oxum Kingdom for so long. History kind of goes, now we're in the 1960s or so, and I think at this point is where a lot of unrest and, like, literally the civil war, I guess, between Ethiopia and Eritrea kind of carry on. It, like, was a 30-year war. Eritrea ended up winning their independence from 91 or at 91, so we're a fairly new country, but at 91 was when we were able to um, kind of get our own, like, air, like our own, form our own identity, especially within the church, um, and have like a separate EOTC. So like the first patriarch of our church was literally, I think, ordained or anointed in like 93 or 94. The thing I, I was not aware of was the European influence yes. in Eritrea. Yeah. Could you just speak to that Italy. very quickly? Yes. If you go to the capital city of Eritrea, Asmara, there's a lot of like Italian Roman influences because of, I think, Mussolini. Um, he like, yeah, I think literally it's Mussolini. Um, but he, yeah, so the Italians were like the ones who colonized us. Um, yeah, so I think Italy was one of the major 
European colonizers, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're the EOTC. Uh, what does the Ethiopian church go by? We both we go by both. You both yeah. Go by so EOTC. it's like EOTC. yeah. So if they want, they can specify as like I'm EOTC, but I'm like I'm from Eritrea. I'm from Ethiopia. Um, but yeah. Yes. There's a story in uh, Acts about an Ethiopian man that yes. was baptized. Yes. So that's technically the first Christian there. Yes. Do you guys have his story? Did he? Uh, is he mentioned in your uh, synexarium or in your liturgies or mm-hmm. anything like that? Or? That's a good question. Um, I don't think he's mentioned in our synexarium or our liturgy. Um, that's the Ethiopian eunuch, eunuch, the one that was baptized in Acts. Um, that's like a good, I think that was how, when I mentioned earlier how like um, Ethiopian Eritrea, like Christianity was familiarized um, in those regions was because of the Ethiopian eunuch. But there is like barely any documentation on that. Um, and even some people might say that, like, oh, we don't know for sure if he went uh, down to Africa or to like, Ethiopia to even spread the gospel. But um, I think it like kind of depends on who you ask. Has the Ethiopian or Eritrean Orthodox Church made a kind of a bigger shift before and after the death of Haley Selesi? Oh, uh, that's a good question. Uh, I have actually like I know nothing about Haile Selassie. Um Is he canonized as a martyr? No, okay. not at all. Uh, like, <laughs> see, it really depends on who you're asking. So the Eritreans, like, hate his guts, but, like, the Ethiopians love him um, uh, because I think, like, he, like, I think killed a lot of Eritreans. Um, but he's, like, not a martyr, I think, in either of the churches, honestly. Um, but I also, maybe don't quote me, I don't know his, like, story or, like, his, like, history at all. But um, when I was, like, going through the presentation, my dad never mentioned it. So, yeah, take with a grain of salt, I guess. Yes, Mary. Uh, I Thank you very, very much. That was really, really great. We should do this more often. Uh, but I wanted to just add, make a comment. You were apologizing for talking about how there's politics and how yeah. it's sorted. And I just want you to tell you, you know, want to tell you the same, right? It, this is, unfortunately, uh, you know, the church yeah. is humans and we're yeah. messed up. Yeah. And so we've got some crazy politics going on, uh, too. It's like you guys are going through a, a worse period right now, but... Ukraine and Russia, yeah. I mean, so yeah. right, it's it's everywhere, and yeah. we just we pray for the unity of, of the one church. But don't apologize. Thanks. Hi, sorry. I'm I came a little bit late because mm-hmm. we had Sunday school. No problem. Um, so I just have a, a cultural question. So like I know in Ethiopia and Eritrea, there's a lot of like different ethnic groups each with like their own culture and like practices. Mm-hmm. How does that, like what happens when they enter the church? Like, is it like each person kind of, is it like almost like, is it like clicky? Like, oh, like this group does it this way or that? Or like, do they all become, like how does that work out in practice in the church? I'm curious. That's a very good question. Yeah, so Eritrea has like nine different tribes, whereas Ethiopia has literally more than a hundred um, ethnic tribes. But I think for Orthodox Christians, both Eritrea and Ethiopia, the main, like, I guess, tribe that you can, so for Eritrea, the main tribe that are, like, mainly Orthodox is the Tigrinya people, like, I'm Tigrinya, for example. Um, a lot of people that you meet on the streets, probably nine times out of ten, they'll be from the Tigrinya, like, tribe, um, and so I don't know if, like, the different tribes are even, like, Orthodox Christians. Um, I, I don't know, though, like, I, I guess never considered it. It's a good question, um, so I don't know if, like, they are even Christians, but the ethnic tribes are also very different. They even have a different language and different customs. So I would assume like if they were Orthodox, it would be different. And like the same kind of applies to like the Ethiopian um, Orthodox church, like the main tribe is the Amhara like tribe. And that's like the, what you like, the language that they speak is like what you hear in the Ethiopian Orthodox church. I don't know if that answered your question fully, but. Hi, I have a, over here, sorry, I'm short. And I'm sitting. So. Me too, bro. Me too. <laughs> um, I have more of like a lighthearted, fun question. What's like your absolute favorite tradition memory as a child that made you realize, wow, we're different, we're orthodox? That's a good question. I love that question. Um, I think you guys like saw the video of like us holding the sticks and like us dancing, whatever. A couple years back, so 
mainly that's like what priests and deacons do, but it's open to anybody like that wants to join. So like even women included, as well as hitting the instruments, like hitting the kabuto, like girls can do it as well. Um, and I think for me, like when I like guess my core memories is when um, a couple of like my friends and I were like, yo, we should kind of learn how to do like what the priests do. And so we learned that during, I think, the Feast of Nativity. And then when we were doing it, like the whole like 15 minutes of it, um, it was a very like gratifying experience. And I think it definitely carried on forward. Like we have like now a lot of like other youth who are kind of taking on a bigger step like in the church and like wanting to do that as well. So I think I would say probably like that is like what really made me realize like, wow, we're different even from like a lot of like Orthodox churches that like I cherish personally. All right, a um, little bit heavier of a question. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> Two ends of the spectrum. <laughs> yeah. Um, you mentioned that there's sometimes a generational gap in some yeah. of the churches here. Um, what are some of the frictions between the youth um, and the older generations that might be pushing them away? Yeah, that's a very good question. Uh, definitely a discussion point. I think it's pretty similar to the Coptic church in terms of like those judgmental, like judgment, judgmental, judgmentful. What's the word? Judgmental. <laughs> There's a lot of judgmental, I think, um, like older like uh, generations. Um, I think language barrier is a huge one. I think because like given like the climate and the state of our church, or, like where it's in right now in terms of the patriarch, I really personally think it's really kept us from progressing forward. Like a lot of the EOTC churches that you go to will still kind of refuse to like pray in English or like to, you know, uh, do liturgies in English and stuff and just aren't inclusive um, of the youth. I would say that as well as, I know like I've had friends, like our friends like in the past, especially our guy friends, um, kind of like vent their frustrations about how like anytime they show up um, to church, they always like feel like they're being perceived differently or just being judged because they're not dressed a certain way or like they have earrings or something like that. Um, but I think that's also a big thing. So I think language barrier as well as just like the community of the church, we I think could definitely improve way more and just being more like welcoming. But I would say those two main things. Thanks. Oh, you don't have to stand up, you don't have to stand up. So, so I, I think, I, I, you probably don't know this obviously, but uh, this is probably like the most people we've had attending this and it's, uh, and, and the most number of questions we've had afterwards. So we're really grateful to have you spend time out of your busy schedule and studies to come, uh, to come bless us with this. And I think this is something hopefully that will uh, continue uh, moving forward. I think we need to know more about our sister churches and uh, we may have to have a part two with you at some point, but, uh, but um, it, this is really eye-opening for all of us. And again, we're just blessed to have you and uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, been, it's been great. So thank you so much for your time. Archie? Name of the father.